Is Aaron Rodgers on no legs better than me on two? Probably. Blue 58, hut! Hey there, this is Blue 58. I'm John Muirdink, your host. Joined, as always, all the way from Atlanta this evening, Gary Zillavie. Good evening, Gary. Good evening, my friend. Uh, glad to have you with us today on Blue 58. Big show for you today, so let's jump right into it with headlines from the world of the Packers this week. Uh, starting with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, the headline, Mike McCarthy managing around Aaron Rodgers' injuries. Uh, the money quote from the article against the Seahawks, McCarthy said he scrapped a portion of the game plan and tried to stick with things he knew wouldn't affect Rodgers' injury as much as others. The Packers had things rolling in the first half, even with Rodgers hobbling around. But McCarthy said the mistake of trying to protect Rodgers too much uh, to, he said he, McCarthy said he made the mistake of trying to protect Rodgers too much to start the third quarter. Uh, I, I think by that, uh, I think you definitely saw the offense bogged down a little bit at the start of the third quarter, but they got things back on track. Do you think the Packers' offense, Gary, is better with Rodgers playing this way as opposed to perhaps the more mobile version of Aaron Rodgers? Well, I, first of all, I think that uh, the Packers' offense – Whenever they get a big lead, it seems like they they put it in park. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily buy the, the the McCarthy saying he was too conservative. I think that's just McCarthy being McCarthy. Uh, but to answer your question, you know I think that Rogers' calf injury didn't affect the way at least how I saw the the way he was making throws. He was still dropping dimes in, and the way that offense runs, you know the pistol, the shotgun, it's working. It's working. I really like the pistol offense just as uh, an offense in general, and I think it does some really good things for the Packers, particularly with, particularly with the personnel that they have. Um, the pistol kind of gives you the best of both worlds, I think. You can do a little bit of a power running game because the, the running back gets a chance to build up a head of steam, but you also give your quarterback a little bit of added protection and a little bit of uh, a wider view of the field. And uh, I like what this does for Rodgers, and it seems like they've had success dating back to 2014 when he was dealing with that calf injury. Gary, you also dug up a, an interesting tidbit uh, from uh, Rodgers on that calf injury dating back to the, the championship game against the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, I did. So in January 2015, when the Packers were uh, the, the week leading up to the NFC championship game, Tom Silverstein of the uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel interviewed a, uh, a psychologist or, sci- or a physician, excuse me, not a psychologist, uh, a physician for uh, the Cleveland Browns. I think he'd worked for them previously who talked about calf injuries and uh, said that what Rogers is experiencing is something that is kind of like a scab where when he plays, it's like peeling the scab off before it's healed. Uh, so you can't really make a ton of progress on healing that injury until you've got a good chunk of time um, to be, you know, done with with strenuous physical activity. So, with that in mind, as as much as it pains me to say it, it you know, if Rogers' injury is anything like what he was going through in 2014, we're going to be dealing with this the rest of the way, however long the Packers are going to make this season last. And I would argue that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna do the cliche and try to relate something that a professional athlete is doing to something from my personal life. But just bear with me for a second. So fall of my senior year of high school, uh, I was preparing to go off to college and play college football, 
and also preparing for my senior year of, of basketball season. And while going through a work- workout for a football coach, uh, I pulled my left quad pretty seriously. It, it was it was extremely painful if you've ever had a serious muscle pull. Um, and the one thing that it oddly that it did was in the short term, at least, it made me a better basketball player. Uh, and it was because I had to be a lot more aware of where my body was and how I was managing my physical abilities within the limitations that I had. Uh, so it made me a lot more conscientious of things like positioning, where I was on the court, uh, where I was in relation to my teammates. I don't know if you can extend it far enough to say we're seeing, we see the same things from Rodgers, but it's like he's a different player when you force him to stay in the pocket and make reads rather than running around and using his, uh, his athleticism to, to buy time until guys get open. I think it's a fun thing to see. And it's been pretty spectacular. The results against the Seahawks speak for themselves. They absolutely do. Let's move on to our next headline tonight. Uh, Packers still waiting for first-round pick Kenny Clark to make an impact. This from Rob Domovsky at ESPN.com. Kind of talking about the Packers rookie class in general, but let's start, let's start with Kenny Clark, um, the first-round pick this year. When I saw that you dumped this article into our rundown, Gary, it actually took me a second to remember that Kenny Clark was this year's first round pick. I, I couldn't <laughs> remember which round he was taken in because he just hasn't had those kind of splash plays at all. It seems like he's been solid when he's been in there, but he hasn't done much that really makes any sort of an impact uh, one way or another. And that can be good because he's not making a negative impact, but he's also not, like I said, making those splash plays. How do you evaluate Clark and the draft class as a whole? I think it's really hard to talk about defensive linemen and their impact. Uh, At least I find it hard. Uh, Mike Daniels is easy because he blows up so many plays that, you know, even a casual fan can go, man, there's a good football player. That 76 is hustling. Clark. And go ahead. And he struts around a little bit after the play, too, and lets you know that he did something important. <laughs> that, you know what? Very true. And, and you he don't, makes it so you can't miss him. You cannot miss him. Um, and and uh, from Clark, you just you, you haven't seen those splash plays. I was, as I was reading this article, I was thinking about how much I've thought Dean Lowry has improved in recent weeks. But really all I'm basing that off of are his two sacks. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm really judging his whole season on on two plays where, you know, one of them, he, he made a really nice move on the interior lineman. But uh, I, I it's it's hard to say. I think the 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 quote in the article about uh, from the coaching staff talking about, um, you know, how Clark has a bright future with the Packers is certainly promising. I, I guess I just have to take the coach's word for it. Let's take a quick spin through the draft as a uh, draft class as a whole. So Clark. Um, re- I guess I have to say this for everybody. The the jury's still out on everybody. You can't judge anyone just by their first season. Clark, hard to say. Jason Spriggs, uh, that he was able to start at guard at all, I think says a lot about him, and that he wasn't a total train wreck uh, is fairly promising. How's, how's he's, how does he grab you so far? Well, Spriggs, the uh, Indiana University byproduct, and, and what a – what a byproduct from that football uh, institution there. I, I think he's got a bright future. It certainly makes letting someone like DJ Lango in free agency a little less scary because you've got 
Spriggs, you've got Treader, ideally, if you re-sign him. Lindsley, the future's pretty bright on the Packers' offensive line as far as young talent. I would have to agree. Spriggs certainly a good enough athlete to continue to improve in a fairly big way. I think his ceiling is pretty high. Kyler Fackrell, I think both of us would agree he's been among the more disappointing elements of this year's draft class. Uh, on paper, it makes sense. Tall guy, fairly well-built, obviously athletic. But man, he's old already, and there's just... I don't see him getting a lot better from here. I I, I just... I, he, I, I fear he'll be always known for that play against Washington. I think so too, unfortunately, because I don't see him changing into much else. Uh, I don't see where he goes other than being just another kind of lanky pass rusher type guy. Uh, Blake Martinez, um, I think if anybody's going to make a jump in their second year, it's going to be Blake Martinez. They've asked him to absorb a lot. And I think asking him anybody to be a starting linebacker in the NFL as a rookie is is a pretty big ask. And we've seen that from Martinez. And then for the other two, you know, you've got a few other picks here. You got, you know, just quickly Dean Lowry, who I think, you know, kind of strikes me as one of those mainstay defensive line rotation guys, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 snaps a game, makes a couple impact plays every year, you know, fan favorite kind of guy from Rockford, Illinois. You've also got uh, Trevor Davis, who's been a healthy scratch the last couple of weeks. And uh, certainly Geronimo Allison has seemed to have jumped him on the depth chart. Uh, I think you see that sometimes with rookies in that first year, especially if they're draft picks, where you know they'll they'll be deactivated over maybe a, a hungrier undrafted guy. Certainly don't know if that's the case with Davis, but uh, would would strike me as just empirical evidence of what we've seen. And then, well, he also he also committed a cardinal sin for Mike McCarthy in that he fumbled a punt uh, against Tennessee, and he has not seen the field since then. Well, that would do it too. <laughs> that does do it, especially and, as a rookie. And and something I think uh, I think it was Bob McGinn pointed out is that when push comes to shove, and Mike McCarthy's got to win a game, one thing that he reliably does is he goes with his veterans. He'll put all the young guys on the bench and just say, we got to go with the old guys here. And I think that's why we've seen Cobb back returning punts uh, these last couple games, especially after Davis dropped one against the Titans. And do you remember that? I think an example of that is the time the Packers opened the season up in Seattle. I think that was, what was that, 2014? And yep. Yep. they had a number of rookies that ended up um, producing pretty pretty significantly on that team who were healthy scratches for that game because McCarthy wanted to go in with only his veterans inside, in, you know, in Seattle. So um, I think that proves your point there. Uh, that game in particular is a good example because they stuck uh, Devontae Adams on the right side of the the offensive for, or formation. So he was across from Richard Sherman, and they just kind of said in that game, hey, Richard, you can cover Devontae Adams. We're not going to throw to him anyway. And they tried to do everything to the left side of the field, and it failed spectacularly. Game planning not to lose. A staple of the Mike McCarthy era, it seems, sometimes. We should move on from uh, from draft picks. We'll, we have a lot more to say about draft picks, I guess, at the end of the season once we start heading towards uh, the next draft. The final headline we wanted to touch on today is something about injuries in the NFL. This story itself is not from this season, but I think it bears considering. 
uh, from Kevin Seifert from ESPN.com. The piece opens like this. Uh, the Green Bay Packers third team quarterback takes a snap from the fourth string center and throws to the team's number four receiver. This is not a preseason game, but instead a key November matchup with playoff implications when the Packers will lose to the Eagles. He goes on to describe a couple other situations where the outcome seemingly is majorly defined by the injuries to key players within those games, wondering if the uh, the NFL as a whole is battling an injury epidemic. I've got quite a few thoughts on this, but Gary, I want to get your opinion first. I think it's really easy to say the NFL is battling an injury epidemic when the quality at quarterback is so thin. There's only a handful of quarterbacks in this league that are true game makers. I think if you were being generous, you could probably extend that list out to about 12 guys. Um, That's a conversation for another day, but uh, you're essentially saying two-thirds of the starting quarterbacks in this league are not difference makers. And from that point, you've got another 32 backups. So 50 of your 60 quarterbacks are guys that don't play very exciting football. And when your quarterback's down, as the Packers saw when Rodgers was was out with a uh, with his collarbone injury, is is how quickly the games become disappointing or, or not even fun to watch. And it's quick to point out the in, the NFL has an injury epidemic when um, when the quarterback play is so poor and, and the quality of quarterbacks you're getting from that next level are, are are even worse and they just continue to get worse it seems. And the knee-jerk reaction to something like this that you always hear in the media, it seems, is, well, this is why the NFL needs some sort of developmental league. Well, that may be true, but many have tried and none have succeeded so far at making some sort of either competitor to the the NFL or something that could fill that role as a developmental league. I wanted to touch on something that, that you talked about there, the narrative, the idea that you can construct this idea that... Uh, there's this injury epidemic going on. We both, you and I, do something that I think uh, some sports fans may be able to relate to, but we collect what I call source documents, uh, media produced during a particular time. Right now, I, I own a copy of Sports Illustrated. I forget the exact headline of the article, but it's from 1992. And the gist of the article is if they're wondering if the NFL is too boring. And you can go to just about any period of NFL history and wonder, and you'll get people wondering if the NFL is to this or to that to succeed. And I think that's because of a, a weakness in the in the game itself, and it's one that you can't really fix. But we don't, we just don't play many football games. You play one; every team plays one game a week, really, unless you get roped into a a Thursday night game, so you can play two within seven days. But really, it's just one game a week, and that gives you a lot of time to fill between games where you have to talk about something. So the media is going to want to create a narrative about something, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. you got to fill that space. You have to talk about something, and, and injuries are something that are easy to talk about. It's easy to talk about a guy, a high-profile player like Aaron Rodgers not being able to play, because he's injured, and I think articles like this, even though this one is a couple years old, are are a symptom of that reality. You just got to fill time. 
and it's easy to uh, to invent something or, or convince yourself of something if you need to come up with something to fill that time. And on top of that, the NFL has gone to a year-round schedule, it seems, between spacing out the combine and the draft and training camp and the Hall of Fame game and preseason that uh, the season really never ends. And it's hard to base a year-round sport like that around essentially 16, 16 days where you have a game. Only 16 guaranteed games, absolutely. Well, we are actually going to talk about a player that is injured right now in our next segment. But first, I want to mention an opportunity for you that we have just recently added to thepowersweep.com. If you are on the website at any time in the near future, you should notice this new feature. It's going to be asking you to sign up for our new email list. This is something we're trying out, uh, trying to get the things that we're producing at thepowersweep.com to you as quickly as we can promise we're not going to be sending out weekly newsletters or anything that's going to load up your inbox all this is going to be is when there's something new on the site uh, you're going to be made aware of it via an email takes about 10 seconds to sign up i did it it's easy do it at thepowersweep.com get on to our mailing list uh, and do it today all right on to the big topic blue 58 so i just want to set the stage here for today's main topic I want to ask a pretty simple question, and I'm actually going to answer the question right off the bat. Uh, the question I want to discuss with Gary and with you, the listener tonight, today, whenever you happen to be listening to this, is pretty simple. Is Aaron Rodgers the most valuable player of the National Football League? Now, my answer to this is maybe he might be the best or the most valuable player, but I don't think he's going to win the award this year. So let's lay this case out. Uh, I think the best representation of Aaron Rodgers' potential case as MVP uh, comes from an article by Ryan Wood uh, for the Green Bay Press Gazette. The entire piece will be posted in our show notes here, but I really just want to highlight kind of, I think, the essence of Rodgers' case comes in the form of a quote from Micah Hyde. Quote, We all knew deep down in our hearts that we could do it anyway, Hyde said, speaking of Rodgers' remark about uh, the Packers' ability to run the table to end the season. So 12 saying it, obviously he's the leader of our football team, we understand that, we listen to things he says and how his mentality is, but that at the same time every guy in this locker room, every locker in here thought the same thing. He was just the one to get in front of the cameras and say it first. Wood talks about this being kind of a signature moment for Rodgers, a lot like his R-E-L-A-X, relax sort of comment. And I think he's on to something there. I think Rodgers' demeanor, his leadership has meant a lot to the Packers this year. But I think it's going to be difficult for him to win the MVP just because of the strong cases of a few other guys. And we can dive into those those guys here in a bit but Gary what do you think of Rogers chances I think he's got a good chance John I think that uh what one of the things that really helps uh Rogers case is that he has another crack at Minnesota and if he can put a strong game up against the Vikings I think that helps erase the bad taste uh that that with that early season loss at the uh at the bank now as far as his case uh, you do have to judge it against the competition and those, I, I tend to think it's a pretty weak field. I disagree with you, John, uh, uh, respectfully on that. But I think that there's uh, a, not a, a real runaway with it maybe in previous years. And if Rodgers can continue to 
as he seemed to have done last week, almost single-handedly pushed this team to victory. Um, I, I think he's, I think he's got a really good shot. Well, I would like to to lay out my side of the case on on why I think the field is strong, and I'm I like your your idea that it maybe not may not be strong individual candidates, but I think the 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 weight of the field might make it difficult for Rodgers to distinguish himself. I think there's four real strong candidates for MVP right now. Uh, Tom Brady, just doing things that Tom Brady always does, and the media may even undersell him a little bit, if that's at all possible, for what he means to the Patriots. Uh, Matt Ryan started out the season very strong. If you'd have just gone in the first five or six games of the year, it would have been Matt Ryan and no one else for MVP. I think we can both agree on that. Uh, Matthew Stafford is threatening the all-time record for single-season fourth-quarter comebacks and game-winning drives. He has eight right now, which is just insane. The record is nine. Then the fourth candidate is Ezekiel Elliott, the proverbial engine for the Dallas Cowboys attack. I think I do agree with you um, that there may not be a strong individual candidate that Rodgers would have to overcome. But I think if there were top five candidates right now and Rodgers would be fifth, he would be behind all four of those guys just because of how poorly he started the season in the first half of the year, really, how poorly he played. Um, So if you were going to handicap Rodgers on on where he would end up as far as uh, the MVP balloting, do you have a guess? Where do you where do you put his odds? So last week I said that if the Packers were to win against the Seattle Seahawks, uh, they're going to win the Super Bowl. So I'm hanging with that. I'm anticipating Green Bay finishing the season three and zero and winning the division. So with that being the case, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say he's at least top three, uh, maybe top two. Uh, I, I think. I think that he'll very easily move past Matt Ryan if he isn't already uh, beating Stafford in that final week and having a 2-0 head-to-head advantage over Stafford is going to push him over over his case, I, I believe. And it just comes down to Elliott. Uh, you know, is Elliott going to hit a rookie wall? Typically that happens around the 14th game because that's how many you, you typically play in college. Now, Elliott with the playoff has played about 15 with the, the uh, with Ohio State the last few years. And then Tom Brady is, is, is 12 games enough of a sample size to, to give an MVP uh, award, especially when your team went three and one without you. Um, you know, it wasn't like he, he came back and the, the wall was, you know, the building was on fire. Uh, they were in good position without him. Yeah, they were. Uh, and that's why I, if I can give you one of my, if I were to fix the NFL, here's something that I would do type ideas. I think there actually needs to be two awards. I think the NFL should come up with a most valuable player and make it very strict. This is the this is the player a team could least afford to be without, and I think that would open the door for guys like J.J. Watt to win. Uh, you know, he had the the strong case a couple of years ago. People thought he should win, um, and it really lets you vote for the guys who, without them, their team would be absolutely nothing. The highlight players, would, right? No, the the highlight players would be the guys who were the who would be the winner of the most outstanding player award. So, like, this would go to the best single individual effort that kind of may not have affected the team the way the most valuable player did. Um, if you think about this, 
or if you if you want an example of a season where this would have worked, uh, 2011, when the Packers went 15 and one and Rodgers had a stellar year, but statistically not as quite as much volume as Drew Brees. I think that was the first time Drew Brees went over 5,000 yards. Um, that would been would have been a great opportunity for the most valuable player, most outstanding player type thing. I think Rodgers this year fits the bill of a most valuable player, but Tom Brady fits better into the narrative of the guy who's capturing all the, the headlines and playing super, super well at a very outstanding level. Both players playing pretty well. Who's more valuable? I think it depends what you mean by valuable. So kind of cutting those into two awards would make that easier. So uh, to answer my original question, I think about 15% chance that Rodgers is the MVP. Low or high? Uh, I'd say that's probably about right, John, uh, only because there's just so much that has to has to roll in Rogers fashion for for those stars to align. So I think 15%, that sounds about right to me. Well, one thing that will have to roll right for Rogers to be the MVP is a win this weekend in Chicago. Um, this game to me feels a little bit like the playoff game against the Minnesota Vikings. I think that was in 2012. Uh, that was the one where Joe Webb ended up starting for the Vikings. Remember that one? Sure do. That was an exciting game. Uh, I think I fell asleep in the of, second quarter. Uh, it would be understandable if you did so. The most exciting part of the game was the two hours leading up to the game where everyone was convinced that Joe Webb was going to give the Packers some trouble uh, because of what he could do as a sort of option runaround type quarterback. Do you remember Tony it Dungy about, picking the Vikings? I don't remember that. Did he actually pick them? Yes, it was it was hilarious. I I remember laughing to, out loud. We're gonna have to find tape of that because uh, man, I I would love to see that. But I remember it being scary because everyone was like, "Wow, maybe there is actually something to this theory," or at least I was sitting by myself in my apartment in uh, Janesville, Wisconsin, uh, my brief stay there. Um, but this is this game feels a little bit like that to me because I'm starting to see some people talking about Matt Barkley like he's the kind of guy who could actually give the Packers trouble. I do not buy that even one little bit. How about you? Oh, I, I think we've got a long history of helping young quarterbacks take a step onto the national stage, especially under Dom Capers. Um, we've... We've made a lot of young quarterbacks a lot of money, and I'm looking at you, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, can Barkley repeat that against the Packers? Perhaps. I think John Fox, in his performance, coaching performance against the Packers last Thanksgiving, as much as I hate to think about that game, was really good. And Barkley is improving as a quarterback. You know, when you look at the raw numbers and you watch him play. He seems pretty comfortable back there. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think it's going to be enough, um, you know, just by himself to, to push Green Bay to uh, or push Green Bay to a loss on Sunday. I don't think so either. And uh, to your Dom Capers point, uh, throw another name in there, Josh Freeman. Uh, do you remember when the winless Buccaneers got their first win? against the Packers under that Dom Capers coach defense? I'm going to go down a quick rabbit hole. Do you know who the defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was in that game? Uh, it wasn't Jim was it still Bates. Monty Kiffin? 
It was really? Jim Bates, and uh, he was gone either shortly thereafter or after that game and has yet to appear again in the NFL coaching world. I was going to say that had to be about his last NFL stop because he was the defensive coordinator for the Packers in 2005, and I'm not just reading that or reeling this off the top of my head. I just looked it up real quick. He was with the Packers in 2005, was out of football for a year in 2006. In 2007, he was with the Broncos as the coordinator, out again in 2008, then the D.C. for the Buccaneers in 2009, and hasn't coached again since. There's your Jim Bates fact of the day. But back to back to the main topic, uh, Capers, while he has had some struggles or has gotten lit up a little bit against some rookie quarterbacks or some inexperienced quarterbacks, he's also made things absolute hell for some rookie quarterbacks too. Uh, I think Carson Wentz is a good example of that. Maybe not absolute hell, but he, he handled Carson Wentz after the, the early success he had pretty well you throw out the first quarter and I think Wentz had a had a pretty terrible game against the Packers and Capers has a way of making things difficult if, if he can get a consistent pass rush the way he saw or the way he disguises his coverages I think that that's a big strength of his game too don't don't under um, uh, I think Russell Wilson's rookie year uh, when he played Green Bay and uh, you know he threw an interception on the last play of that game uh, and statistically, his numbers weren't very good in that game. Uh, he struggled in that game. That was that was one of his worst games of his rookie year. Capers owns Russell Wilson. He really does. Wilson has never really played that well against Dom Capers. Even that 2014 game to start the season, it wasn't Russell Wilson. That was that all really Marshawn Lynch. It was. Uh, I, there's one play that I remember that was that wasn't Dom Capers' fault either. They ran a run pass option. Uh, to the left side of the field, and Sam Shields bit hard, as Shields does when he's playing bad Sam Shields football, and the Seahawks had a wide-open touchdown. It makes Wilson's stat line look good, but that wasn't Capers' fault. Anyway, I to circle this back around, I think Capers does handle Barkley, and I think uh, the Packers get the win over the, the Bears this weekend. So, with that said... Uh, Matt Barkley, maybe not a huge threat this weekend. What's your prediction, Packers-Bears, in very chilly Chicago this weekend? Well, Chicago's looking down the barrel of their third straight year of finishing in the bottom of the NFC North. I think that it's probably a valiant effort. The return of Alshon Jeffrey, uh, or supposed return, is is going to make a difference. Uh, but ultimately, I see the Packers winning uh, pretty comfortably this week. I think the Packers take care of business against the Bears this weekend. It's I'm not going to be surprised at all if they start a little bit slow. I think a big emotional game against the the Seahawks this past week makes it difficult to come out with the same kind of intensity, but I do think they take care of business. I think Barkley makes a couple mistakes and the Packers do do just enough to to handle it in a game that's going to probably be closer than a score but I than the score but I still think the Packers win by 10 plus uh in Chicago this weekend and it is going to be very cold um maybe that results in a couple wacky things happening we will see 
Gary, I think that's just about a show. Where can the good people find us? Well, you can find us several different ways. Here's how. If you are a member of Facebook.com or Twitter.com, just navigate to your search bar or uh, type in at the power sweep, all one word. You can also visit us on the World Wide Web. Uh, navigate your web browser to www.thepowersweep.com. And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always send us a good old-fashioned electronic mail. Address your message to the Power Sweep 1959 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any feedback helps John and I make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And that is the goal, making you a better and smarter fan of the Green Bay Packers. We will see you on the Power Sweep. Be sure to check out our work as well at acmepackingcompany.com. Both Gary and I do a bit of writing for the fine folks over there. Uh, And you can find us again, all the places that Gary just mentioned. Don't forget to sign up for our brand new email list. It'll send you a handy post whenever something goes live on the website. For Gary Zillaby, I'm John Muirnick. We will see you next week on Blue 58.